God's grace is greater than our guilt. As we open up God's Word today, today is going to be a little bit different than a, a normal Sunday. The, the basic structure of the service is going to be the same. But in the way that we are, are speaking today, I'm going to be honest, it's going to be a little bit confronting today. And I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but it's going to be a little uncomfortable. So if you need to squirm in your chair, go ahead and squirm now and, and get it out. But the end of the message is going to be incredibly encouraging. Because talking about God's grace, we have to actually understand is why we need God's grace in our life, why we are guilty, so that we can enjoy and celebrate and experience the daily grace that God has for every single one of you. The goal of this series is to help you experience God's grace in your daily life. And our principle for today is this. And every single Sunday, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And our principle for today is this. God's grace is greater than my biggest sin. God's grace is greater than my biggest sin. I feel this way often. God may prompt my heart to do something. And instantly, the very first thing that comes to my mind, without even having to consciously process it, my first thought is, I can't do that. God may prompt my heart to go talk to that person, go do something. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's huge. And my very first thought is, I can't do that. And oftentimes it comes from a lack of a full acceptance and a lack of fully experiencing the grace of God in our daily lives. Because we go back and we think to ourselves, I don't have enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have enough resources, don't have enough opportunity, I don't have... And then we often think about the things that maybe we've done in our past, the sinful past. And we think to ourselves, well, I can't do that because back 10, 20, 30 years ago, I did this and therefore I, am, I cannot do anything for God. And we carry around these burdens year after year, decade after decade, and they begin to sever our potential with God and what He has for us. So God's grace is greater than my biggest sin. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to set a foundation of an introduction. And we're going to talk about some of our responses. And then we're going to face reality at the end with some application. Hebrews chapter number 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith or the chapter of faith. And it talks about by faith, Noah went out and did these incredible things. By faith, Abraham went out and did these incredible things. By faith, Joseph and Moses. And they all these people that did absolutely amazing things. And then you get into chapter number 12, and it gives us the source of faith. Because it's all well and good for you and I to say, just have faith. But faith is only as good as the object of that faith. I'll give you fair warning. I will not purposely let you down but if you put all your faith in me i will fail you if you put all your faith in southwest baptist church we will disappoint you but in chapter number 12 verse number two we have a wonderful truth now you're in church now if you read the first three words you'll, you'll probably guess what we're going to talk about for just a moment but it says, looking to who? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says right this moment, Jesus Christ is on the right hand of, of God, right this moment in the very presence of God. But he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You and I can have a faith. and We have the source of our faith is Jesus Christ. 
the result of our faith, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we now live a different life. We're, we're called by God to place our trust upon Jesus Christ as our Savior, to repent of our sin and to, and to accept the free gift of salvation that He's given to us. And when we do that, we are given some wonderful gifts. And one of those gifts is the result of faith, which is the grace of God. Continuing on in that passage, in verse number 15, Hebrews 12, verse 15, the very first line of that gives us a real challenge. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We have this wonderful source of faith, which is Jesus Christ, God's Son, that is given for you and for me and for the entire world. And we're given a challenge. See to it that no one fails to obtain this wonderful grace that we find through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a challenge for every single one of us. See to it that no one fails to obtain. As a husband and as a father... My wife and I, um, together as a couple, our number one goal, now legally we have to feed our children. We cannot abuse them. We cannot beat them. We cannot do a number of things, so we don't. Well, we don't do it because we love them. But the greatest calling in my life and my wife's life for our children is not just to feed and clothe our children, not just to give them a good education, not to make them comfortable or even happy. Because sometimes we destroy our teenagers' lives, Right? The number one goal is so that they will obtain the grace of God. I want them to know for themselves they have an intimate and a personal relationship with the God, the creator of the universe, and they're daily experiencing that walk in a different way than anyone else in the world because of God's grace. Now, you're in church right now, and it's, it's the right thing to say, yes, we should want to experience God's grace. But oftentimes, we have had an incorrect understanding of God's grace in the past, through past experiences or through church, and we have the effect of no grace in our life. And we've seen that, so therefore, we be often become bitter. That verse 15, continuing on in that verse, the next part of it, let me read the whole thing. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And it continues on, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. This book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew people. And they, in the Hebrew people, if you have a number of examples in the children of Israel, as they walk through the land, heading towards the promised land, they would have this water that was referred to as bitter water. It was poisonous. It wasn't good. Or they'd find a plant and they said, we can't eat this. This plant is bitter. And what it has the understanding of, and the meaning of, it's poisonous. It's toxic to you. And it says there, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Because if you fail to obtain and live in the wonderful grace of God, it says it causes bitterness. So what is this grace that he has for us? Very, very simple definition of grace simply means favor. Some of you may have friends named Charis. It means grace in Greek. And in the biblical understanding of that word, it means God's favor bestowed upon the undeserving. Now, you may think to yourself, well, that's not me because I deserve this somehow. Well, we'll look at that in a few moments' time. God's favor bestowed upon the undeserving. That's exactly where I want to be. I want to be in God's favor in every aspect of my life. I want my children and my family, I want you 
I want my community to obtain or to know personally the grace of God, the favor of God that's bestowed upon the undeserving. You see, when we fail to experience grace in our life, religion becomes toxic. Religion becomes a poison. Relationships become toxic when we fail to have grace in them. Church becomes a poison to our community and to ourselves when we fail to have grace. Our own heart without grace becomes poisonous and toxic. So therefore, there's some incredibly important application that we must make in your life and also in my life. And this has been a, a really wonderful week, also, but a tough week because everything I preach, I have to first of all apply to myself. And that's tough. Because sometimes I want to go, like, I want to preach to you, not to me today. But today, it's, it, this is for me, and then you get the overflow, okay? So let's look at the scripture, and let's look at what our response is. Our natural response is to be naturally defensive. That's our first point this morning. When we are confronted with the fact that we are guilty, we're sinful, we do wrong, we naturally become defensive. Now, in your mind, you may instantly have thought to yourself, not me, I don't become defensive, maybe that person does, but I don't do that. Well, I have a list. We have the word deny and compare and justify and minimize. We naturally become defensive when we're confronted with something. We don't naturally say, I'm guilty. From children all the way up to adults, we carry this around constantly. I don't think any of us, and myself included, have ever been pulled over by a police officer and, and, and said, no, I actually was going faster than that. Will you please give me a bigger ticket? No, none of us. We naturally say, no, it wasn't me. It was the other person. I wasn't speeding. You must have got the car beside me somehow. We naturally think that way. And with our children, we think, well, it was the brother. It was naturally, it was the sister. I had two sisters, and I was blamed for everything as a kid growing up. We naturally begin to deny. We deny that it wasn't me. We don't want to admit that we're guilty. Because remember I said in the very beginning, it, today is going to be a little bit confronting and uncomfortable. And some of you are thinking about other people right now. Let me encourage you. Let's think about ourselves for just a moment. Because we begin to deny, we don't want to admit our guilt. We compare ourselves with others because we passionately defend ourselves by comparing ourselves to somebody else, thinking that somehow because we've done wrong, but it wasn't quite as wrong in our eyes as someone else's wrong, then therefore we're not as bad as somebody else. Or we justify it by, by rationalizing what we do in, in that we think to ourselves, it was bad, but it was for a good cause. Or we minimize the impact of it. We think to ourselves, well, it wasn't as bad as you say it was. It wasn't as bad as, as God says it is, which we'll look at in a few moments' time. We've been playing the blame game since the very, very beginning of time. And if you want something to blame, because we're playing the blame game, let's blame Adam. But really, it's, it's us too. From the very beginning of time, in the, and God created the earth, and he made man, Adam. He made a woman, Eve. They were perfect. They were living in the Garden of Eden, and they had everything that they ever wanted in life. They were free. They're confronted with an opportunity to do wrong, and they take right away. He says, go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they instantly go to that tree, 
Eve was deceived by the serpent Satan. They eat of the tree, or she takes the fruit, gives it to Adam. Adam willingly takes the fruit. There's no real, like Adam, the, the scripture doesn't really give us a, a clear indication, but the in understanding is Adam was there the whole time. It wasn't like he was like, she put it in my salad. I didn't know I was eating it. It wasn't that way at all. He knowingly took the fruit, ate it of himself. He individually sinned himself. And God confronts Adam and Eve. And they instantly play the blame game. From the very beginning, there's only three people you have. Well, I guess there's four. Satan, Eve, God, and Adam. Adam blames anyone else but himself. So it says there, the man said, this is God confronting Adam about his sin. Adam said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. He instantly blames God, first of all. In other words, you gave me the woman, so it's your fault for giving me her in the first place. Now, that's totally irrational. But it's an instant response. It's a natural response. It's a wrong response, but it's an instant and a natural response. The woman that you gave me, God, it's your fault. And then he goes, and maybe he uh, catches himself halfway through that sentence and goes, um, that's a really dumb thing to say. How about, oh, my wife. Now, I'm going to blame the only other person, the other, only other human being on earth. It's her fault that she gave it to me and I just ate it. Now, this is like the first time in history that man actually just did what he was told and ate, right? But that's not the case at all. He willingly, he knew what he was doing. And then God looks at Eve and he says, Eve, in verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She blames Satan. It wasn't my fault. I was tricked. The blame game is from the very beginning. And we naturally play it all the time in our mind. And as you begin to evaluate your own responses when you're confronted with your guilt, whether it's big or small, we always play the blame game or we try to compare ourselves or justify or minimize it. Somehow we try to defer the responsibility off of ourselves and place it upon someone else. That becomes a barrier to God's grace because the more I understand about God, His love for me, my guilt, the more I can experience God's grace. I do not want to have anything in the way between my relationship with God and God's grace in my life. I want to live in the forgiveness that is given to me. We all desire to experience grace. I don't think any of us want to experience the consequences of our sin. We do not want to experience the opposite of favor, which is the wrath of God. We don't want to experience that. We want to experience the favor that God has for us. But our actions become a barrier to this experience so that we, that we fail to experience the power and the greatness that God has for us. And in many ways, we don't fully understand and fully comprehend. And I want, through this series, we're going to be looking at a number of different aspects through the course of this year. And I want to see, a, for my own life, but also in other people's lives, a tangible change in the way we behave. Because understanding the grace of God is not one of these things where we go, well, that's nice and we leave and, li and remain the same way. We want to understand and experience the grace of God so that I now treat my wife differently. I treat my children differently. I look at other people around me with a newfound love because of the favor that I've experienced because of what God's done in my life. That doesn't mean that we discount everything. We never, we're not allowed to tell our kids no anymore. That's not that at all. 
In fact, if anything, we are become better parents. We become better employers and employees because of the grace of God in our life. We don't want to experience barriers. So what should we do to experience grace? Hebrews 12:15 again. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I have one point to back that up. How do we experience the grace of God? We must face reality. There's a lot of things in our world that are fake. There's a lot of, apparently, a lot of fake news going on in the world today as well. And you begin to look at things, and as, you, as you're confronted with things, you begin to look at the world differently and see things differently. And I don't want to live in a fake world. I want to face reality. But reality is oftentimes very confronting. And reality actually makes me feel uncomfortable. But if I went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable and I don't want you to feel out of place, so I'm not going to tell you that you have cancer. I'm just going to tell you that you're maybe a little bit sick. You, you would get angry. You want to hear the truth. The same thing with the Word of God. You don't read the Word of God and say, God, just make it all happy. And You want to know the truth for your life so that you can change and grow and develop and be the person that God wants you to be. The purpose of Southwest Baptist Church is to connect and grow and serve, and grace is filtered through every single one of us. When we connect with others, we want to connect with grace. Could you imagine if everyone had to look like me and act like me and like everything I like in order to be part of our church? Because I mean, my wife wouldn't even be able to come. No, no one would come. You imagine if we, to grow together, we, we, you had to be exactly the same. No, we had to give each other grace. We had to experience the grace in order to grow together and to know that other people are growing at different levels than, than you're growing in different ways, and he's growing and developing you in different skills and abilities that you may not, another person may not obtain. Also with service. The Apostle Paul uses a funny illustration about the body. Imagine if we were all a hand or all a nose all ears or all eyes, and some of you are probably big toes. And so imagine if, if we're all the same. We need to give each other grace. But in order to, to give someone grace, you must first experience it for yourself, and you must face reality. There's a couple Bible verses on the screen. They're well-known Bible verses, but they're still very confronting. And thank God for His grace. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages or the payment of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I have a statement that I want to share with you. The ability to appreciate God's grace is in direct correlation to the degree in which we acknowledge our need for it. Now you may need a few moments to process that because I did. Your ability to appreciate God's grace is in direct correlation to the degree in which you acknowledge our need for it. A teenage boy growing and developing goes into the fridge multiple, multiple times a day and they're yet to be filled because they have a desperate need. They're dying because they haven't eaten in 15 minutes. And they know that they have a need because their stomach is ripping their body apart and it's eating them from the inside out unless they fill it with something that will help them grow. In a similar way with our understanding of grace, I understand my sinful condition. And that's our, our first point here, the face that I am a sinner. Jesus 
gives an illustration to a, a Pharisee, which was a religious leader, a man named Simon. And there was a woman that came and was ministering to Jesus. And this Simon, the, the Pharisee, was looking at this woman and basically thinking, Jesus, why are you allowing this woman to be around you at all? And Jesus tells Simon a powerful short story called a parable that I think you and I will understand. It will help us understand that, that statement of our ability to appreciate God's grace is direct correlation to the degree in which we acknowledge our need for it. I'm going to read Luke chapter number 7, verses 41 through 43. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarii was a day laborer's one day's wage. So they would go to work, and at the end of their day of work, they would be paid one denarii. This one man owed 500 days' work. Another man owed 50 days' work, both a lot of money. And their debtor goes on, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them, this is Jesus talking, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. And go down to verse number 47. It says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The more you understand of who you are, the more that you actually accept who you are, rather than denying it or comparing it or minimizing it, the greater you'll be able to experience God's grace because you will be able to see what He's done in your life and then see it lived out in the lives of others also. First of all, our first point there when facing reality, we must face reality that I am a sinner. Notice I said I am because I want you to personalize this because it's me too. I am a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I did a little research on the Greek word all. And do you know what it literally means? It literally means all. In fact, let me read you the definition. All, any, every, whole. It means everybody. So there's no exception. It says that every single one of you are sinners. That's not really a, a nice thought at all, but it's true. Remember, you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you the truth because that's the kindest thing to tell you. It says there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word fall short has the understanding of missing the mark. God's standard is perfection. Anything outside of perfection is missing the mark. You may miss it by a little bit or miss it by a lot. You've still missed the mark because of your sin. If you're shooting a basket, you know, as a basketball game, and I mean, I don't know about missing because I got it all the time. But hypothetically speaking, you shoot and it bounces all around the ring and it bounces, 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 bounces five times, which is amazing. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, it rolls around and then finally rolls out. You don't get points for effort. You don't get the points unless it goes through the ring. You may be that close, but you still missed. That's what that verse is saying here. For all have sinned and fall short or missed the mark. Now, some of us have missed it by different levels, but remember, we're not comparing. We're not, we're not being naturally defensive today. How do you respond when you hear that you're a sinner? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? And we often think through those natural defenses. But the reality is we're all sinners. And we may think to yourself, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a rapist, I'm not a child molester, and thank God you're not. But 
missing the mark. Every single one of us has missed the mark. By a little bit or a lot, it doesn't really matter. We're all guilty of sin. Romans 6.23 is a wonderful verse that starts off really, really difficult. And it starts off really hard. And if it ended after the first little phrase, we would be without hope. But it says, for the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin, the result of our sin, is eternal separation from God. We're separated from God, not just here on earth, but eternity. We're separated from Him. And thank God there's a comma and the word but after that, because otherwise we'd be totally without hope. And he goes, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We must first and foremost face the reality. We must be careful not to be naturally defensive and accept the truth. But thank God He doesn't leave us in that truth. God doesn't want to leave you where he found you as a sinner without hope. He wants to take you, save you, regenerate you, and give you the grace that he has for you in every aspect of your life. The undeserved favor that's given to you and to me. I get a little bit excited about these things as I sit back and I want to say as, as I was reading this and developing the message and studying out this week, I had to take a number of walks. Dwayne wonders why I get up and just walk the hallway because I think about this and I think about the result of this and, and the impact in my life. How is my life different because of Jesus Christ? How can I now live life differently because of what he's done in my life? And it says in that verse in, in Luke 7, 47, he who is forgiven little loves little. And I began to think through in my own life, in my own mind, about the things that God has forgiven me of. And they're none of your business and your sins are none of my business. As we think through and, and you think through what has God forgiven, I am very, very grateful for God's forgiveness. Because the other reality, the second reality is the fact that my sin is bad. Remember, we're not comparing. We're not, we're not being defensive. We're not minimizing. We're not justifying. And we think through that my sin is bad. The Apostle Paul is an incredible man that did some incredible things for God. He was saved as a young man who was a Pharisee, and he described himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, he was incredibly zealous. And he saw this new, as he thought of as a cult, the Christians. And he said, I need to do something about them. He got permission to begin persecuting the, the early church. And we first find Paul in the book of Acts as a young man who's overseeing the persecution of church, but also the murder of, a, of one of the church deacons named Stephen. The first time we see this man, he's, be, he's a murderer and a persecutor of the church. And you imagine for the apostle Paul, he doesn't forget these things. And, he's, and he has the potential to carry them around as burdens on his back, the things that he's done in his past, the, the sins that he's committed, the horrible things that he has done. Can you imagine standing in front of people and talking about the wonderful love of God in the back of your mind thinking, but I murdered somebody. I hated you Christians. Can you imagine carrying that around as God calls him to, to do various things that can be a constant battle in his life back and forth? And in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy, because this is a really encouraging passage. 1 
First Timothy chapter number one. We're going to read verse 13 through 15 in just a moment's time. He writes this to a young man named Timothy, who he described as his son in the faith. And he's writing to encourage this young man who becomes a pastor. And he says, though formerly I was. Notice I underline on the screen, I was. What was he? Before he knew Jesus Christ as a Savior, he was unforgiven and he was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we read that and we go, absolutely, Paul, you were all these various things. And you may think in your life the things that you were before you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior or the sins that you've committed that God has forgiven you of, and you may remember them, and you may be carrying them around, that you need, and you need to let them go, give them to God, and say, God, these are now yours. You, you've forgiven me. You take these sins. You take them off of my shoulders. But you never forget who you once were, that you were once maybe much like Paul. You were a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But Paul is, is a forgiven man because of Jesus Christ, and he says, I've experienced the grace of God. But he says, I am, and I'm going to paraphrase here. Paul says, I'm the worst sinner I know. Now, you may squirm a little bit because that's uncomfortable. I'll I'll admit. I want you to think through in your life, you don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know the thoughts in my head. You don't know the things that I've done. And I don't know the things that you think. And I don't know the things that you've done. And you may naturally think to yourself, well, what kind of things is Michael doing? Remember, we're not comparing. You think in your life, the things that you've done, and the Apostle Paul says in the end of that passage, let me read this verse 15 again. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul was saying here, I'm the very worst sinner that I know, because I know the thoughts that I think. For myself personally, I know the thoughts that I think. I know the things that I've done. I know who I am. And I don't look at that and go, well, I can't do anything for God. I can't do anything. I just have to carry this around. Somehow I have to work this off. The Bible says that he comes and he washes us white as snow. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But what we can enjoy is that grace is greater. That's a new way of living. God's un. God's favor, God's favor upon the undeserving, was bestowed upon the undeserving, is greater than your biggest sin. In a moment, if you wouldn't mind handing out the cards, they're on the front row there. I want every single person to have one of these cards. I want every single one of you to hold it in your hand. If you've studied math, you know the symbol greater than and less than symbols. And the word on one side of the card is the word grace, and there's the greater than symbol. And then there's a line there. You're free to write in anything you wish in that line. And whether you write something or not, I want you to process this in in your mind. What's your greatest sin? I told you it's uncomfortable. You don't have to say it out loud. It's between you and God. 
but you look at that and you think to yourself, grace, is it greater than my greatest sin, my biggest sin? Is God's love and mercy and care great enough to save me and give me the grace that I don't deserve? The answer is absolutely yes. I'm going to give you some great theology from the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 5. The book of Romans, to give you a really quick summary, the first three chapters of the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, much like a lawyer would write, it charges against the guilty. And he's writing, and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And chapter number 5 and 6 begin a transition time where he begins talking through our salvation. And then later on in the book, it talks about how we're to live a newfound Christian life. So this middle part is how we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he's setting up an argument much like a lawyer would set up an argument. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man was Adam when Adam sinned, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. Go down to verse number 16. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass or sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that is Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, leads to justification and life for all men. That will take you a lifetime of study and a lifetime of enjoyment to get into that passage and and understand it. And we're still just scratching the surface of God's love and the the wonderful justification, the righteousness that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. But I want you to ask you that question one more time. Is grace greater than your greatest sin? Maybe you need to write something down. It's not for me or anyone else to see. And you need to write down your greatest sin and understand that and rip it up and throw that bit away. Don't light a fire because that's dangerous. Take that and throw it away. Maybe you need something practical and say, this burden that I've been carrying around, this guilt that I've been carrying around, year, decade of my life carrying this around. Maybe you need to write that down and say, God, you've forgiven me of this. Thank you for your grace. And now, no longer asking God to forgive you of what he's already forgiven you, now you begin to pray, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your grace. And as you begin to look at life differently, you will look at life very, very differently as a result. And our motivation becomes very different. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. So as you hold that card, God's grace is greater than your biggest sin.